The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, welcome everybody. This is Sportbox. Welcome to the program with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho to join us shortly. Let's get into the headlines. First quarter profit slumps nearly 50% at HSBC and the bank warns the coronavirus outbreak will have a material impact on capital and liquidity as it suspends share buybacks. We're going to speak to the CFO Ewan Stevenson shortly. Rival UBS bucks the trend, posting a 40% jump in first quarter net profit thanks to lower loan loss provisions and higher client activity. Uh, We will catch up with the CEO, Sergio Ermotti. That's in just over 10 minutes' time. Santander puts in an 82% decline in first quarter profit as the Spanish bank creates a 1.6 billion euro reserve pot to help cope with the costs of COVID-19. We're going to speak to the CFO later on in Squawkbox. Plus, we've got crude cratering as US retail investors sell out of the June contract, which has pushed WTI and Brent sharply lower. We're going to speak to the BP CEO Bernard Looney at a critical time for the oil industry, first on CNBC. President Trump says China could have stopped the coronavirus from spreading, adding that his administration is probing exactly what happened and is warning Beijing of consequences. There are a lot of ways you can hold them accountable. We're doing very serious investigations, as you probably know. And we are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation. So welcome to the program, everybody. We have a feast of delights for you on the corporate earnings front, particularly with the banks. So let's just focus on those for a moment. HSBC this morning reported a 48% slide in first quarter pre-tax profit, missing estimates as Europe's largest bank raised provisions to help soften the blow of the coronavirus outbreak. The lender also raised its expected credit impairment charges by $2.4 billion, flagging the impact of a steep drop in oil prices and costs related to corporate exposure in Singapore. HSBC expects to see material downward pressure on earnings this year, but pledged to bring down costs to help offset a slowdown in customer activity and lower interest rates. The company also said it plans to suspend share buybacks in 2020 and 2021, Hong Kong listed shares in HSBC are trading slightly higher at this hour, which will be good news, I think, to Ewan Stevenson, the CFO of HSBC, who joins us now with a conversation on the earnings as reported. Uh, Ewan, very good to have you with us this morning. Obviously, there's a lot in these numbers, but let me just start by asking you, if I might, What we are seeing in terms of levels of customer activity in Hong Kong and China now that we begin to see the lockdowns easing there.
Well, that's not a good sound. That's not positive. That doesn't reassure me that you and Stevenson can hear what I'm saying. Steve, are you there? Can I bring you in? Briefly. <laughs> good morning, my friend. I'm here for you. Terrific, you, Jeff? Terrific start to uh, the programme this morning. But we're re <laughs> we'll reconnect with you. And, and while we're reconnecting with you, and I think it is interesting that we're getting contrasting messages from these banks. Obviously, HSBC with a lot of bad news in the announcement this morning. Surprisingly, UBS actually having a better quarter. Mm. Well, I mean, look, for, if we look at banks generally, this is a perfect storm in many ways. When you look at HSBC specifically, they were already looking to rationalize their business, offset underperforming assets, uh, take a lot of jobs out of the company as well. And of course, uh, it's become at a very awkward time for them as well, the fact that they're now going to have to exacerbate that process and perhaps ramp up that process as well, because things aren't getting that much worse amidst a time when they're under huge pressure uh, not to foreclose on loans not uh, to, to be harsh with any of their customers, to be more forgiving on mortgages, more forgiving on overdrafts as well, to, to, to have perhaps tighten their interest margins as interest rates around the world go to zero as well. So I can't think of it how it could be much worse for these banks in terms of profitability, let alone just keeping chugging going. So very, very difficult time for you and Stevenson, very, very difficult time for all of them. In terms of the investment banks, I, they have got, I guess, uh, the, um, the market activity, which is quite frenetic at times uh, to help them as well. But we're perhaps ask you and Stevenson about this, Jeff. Yeah, well, I know. I cross my fingers here and we'll have another go at reconnecting with Mr. Stevenson, the CFO of HSBC. You and hopefully you're back with us. I wanted to start off. We'll get into the guts of the numbers in just a second, but I think the audience is very keen to understand what now trading looks like. Can you give us a sense of whether you've seen much pickup in business activity in Hong Kong and China as these uh, two economies begin easing the lockdown? Yeah, obviously, because of um, yeah how the coronavirus started and has progressed, I think we are beginning to see uh, signs of recovery in China in particular, uh, lesser extent in Hong Kong. Uh, but we do think economic activity in both probably troughed in Q1. Uh, so we we do expect to see the start of a recovery going into the second quarter. I think it's too early to say at this point, though, how strong that recovery will be, uh, given the um, likely weakness in Western Europe and the U.S., Obviously, you have provisioned aggressively here for expected credit losses. Do you have any good sense of what a ballpark figure would look like across full year 2020 and then into early 2021? Do you think you're going to have to provision further for anticipated ECLs? Well, we, we took um, a, a $3 billion charge into the first quarter, which is up. Uh, fourfold on Q4 of last year uh, and we've provided a estimated range for the full year of 7 to $11 billion. So we do think that the Q1 run rate is higher than what we expect over the remainder of the year. But at this point, it's a very broad estimate based on uh, the difficulty in predicting the path and economic impact of coronavirus from here. 
Ewan, in terms of how you look at your credit losses, how Europe looks at its credit losses, which uh, were, were big anyway, potentially, and there were a lot of zombie loans still out there anyway, not at HSBC necessarily, but elsewhere in the banking sector as well. Are you under pressure not to take those losses too early, not to foreclose on underperforming assets, underperforming loans as well, and, and actually keep businesses which you wouldn't normally keep credit going to, keep them afloat? Oh, look, we're, we're doing all of the sensible things we should be doing at the moment to support our customers. Uh, and we are, you know, as this progresses, we'll progressively have to take a view on the likely path of recovery, both on the personal side and on the business side. Uh, you know, we want to be there for customers that we think um, uh, you know, can and should be supported uh, through this period of time. But you were already looking at a very aggressive cost-cutting plan uh, to shift underperforming businesses, to move out of loans that weren't performing. How are you going to carry out that plan now as well with this as a backdrop, with the point that you're saying we are doing all the things we have to be doing at the moment to keep business afloat, but surely it's going to exacerbate that whole process further down the line? Well, we have announced that we've um, paused our redundancy plan for now. We thought that was the appropriate thing to do in this environment uh, but equally, we have uh, aggressively stopped uh, external recruiting in this environment. Uh, we're looking at all of the variable cost line items, such as travel and entertainment and marketing. Uh, and we now, despite the pause in our restructuring, uh, parts of our restructuring plan, uh, we do think that we'll be able to manage costs to be lower this year than last year, uh, which is different to the guidance we gave at full year. Can I ask you about the um, the strength of the balance sheet at this point, you and obviously the um, CT1 ratio is reported at 14.6%, looks robust uh, as at March end. Um, what is your expectation of, as to how that is going to change as we run through 2020 into 21? Yeah, so both on the capital side and the liquidity side, our liquidity ratio has actually improved in the quarter. On the capital side, we do anticipate because we will see uh, higher risk-weighted assets as a result of deterioration in uh, credit ratings across the portfolio that will see a higher risk-weighted asset growth than we anticipated. And therefore, we do expect the quarter one ratio to decline during the year. I think we'd previously indicated a 14 to 15% range of where we wanted to operate. I think through um, through this year and next, we would be comfortable operating below that level uh, for a period of time. Uh, I think in order to give us the capital we need to support customers in the various markets we do business. Um, and can I ask you specifically, Ewan, on Hong Kong? Obviously, before coming into this crisis, there were already issues about business activity surrounding the pro-democracy protests there and the actions against the government. Um, as we come out of this for Hong Kong, there does seem to have been a pickup in activity related to the arrests of pro-democracy individuals there. Um, how positive or otherwise are you that we will see Hong Kong uh, return to something like meaningful growth this year? Uh, you know, I do, I do think that Hong Kong has uh, at this point seen the worst of the economic impact of the coronavirus. Uh, you know, there are very early signs of a pickup of activity there, of easing of the lockdown. Uh, it does feel like Q2 will be better than Q1. Uh, but even after a very, very tough first quarter, the financial results in Hong Kong, again, proved very, very resilient. 
it continues to be a core profit driver for the bank. Going to wrap with you there, Ewan. Thank you for giving us your time this morning. Ewan Stevenson, the CFO of HSBC. Uh, we're going to talk banks in a bit more detail with UBS, uh, the bank this morning, um, announcing a, a boost during the first quarter. The outlook, though, less certain. We will catch up with CEO Sergio Armotti in just a few moments. Stay tuned. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This is Squawkbox. Uh, so we just talked about HSBC. Obviously, there were some issues uh, in terms of the provisioning the banks having to make going forward, and that has had a big impact on HSBC. But not everybody is having a bad war, if I can use that expression. UBS uh, this morning saying first quarter net profit attributable to shareholders at one59 $5 billion here. That's a 40% jump in first quarter net profit. That down to clients raising their trading activity. The uh, group also giving us a CT1 capital ratio of 12.8% at the end of Q1. Let's get out to Sergio Amotti, the CEO of UBS, and welcome him to the program. Sergio, great to have you on the show. Uh, so the first quarter then does see some benefit from this increase in client activity. Do you expect that to continue into the second quarter as your clients grapple with both higher market volatility and activity and, of course, the need to look more carefully at their own balance sheets? Well, actually, it's very difficult to uh, make predictions about uh, any quarters going forward. I think that uh, if you look uh, at the second quarter environment so far, it looks uh, more uh, uh, March. Uh, you know, for us, I have to say that uh, uh, January, February and March were all uh, profitable months, uh, 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 including uh, um, uh, loan loss provisions. So I think that... Uh, uh, it's very important to stay agile. It's very important to stay flexible in the way you operate, staying close to clients, making sure that our people are safe and able to serve clients. And uh, that's the reason why we are continue to invest in uh, technology to make sure that we can continue to respond to those uh, challenges. And Sergio, you reported uh, $12 billion of uh, net new money into the wealth management business over the quarter. Um, We've been used to, I think, seeing a lot of clients frozen with inactivity as they are confused about what to do, given the impact on the global economy of COVID-19. Do you expect those inflows to continue to pick up as we go through Q2, Q3, as clients increasingly look for professional assistance? 
Yeah, we saw a huge pickup in uh, client engagement uh, despite uh, the logistical uh, um, uh, challenges. Uh, I, I, uh, we see that clients are more and more looking for advice. And, uh, and in that sense, uh, uh, if I look at uh, uh, our um, um, uh, investor survey, it clearly indicates that while clients are uh, uh, risk adverse uh, for the short term, they do plan they do plan to invest in the future. They are uh, uh, not planning to de-risk de or, 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 or sell down their exposures. And actually, they look for opportunities. Now, of course, uh, uh, not uh, all asset classes at this stage are, uh, are uh, the same. Uh, we see a lot of uh, value in credit, for example, uh, compared to maybe equities where valuation uh, are still uh, not reflecting fully um, you know, the, the current uh, macroeconomic uh, challenges. Sergio, very good morning to you. Uh, nine years now since you uh, joined UBS as well. And of course, you, you will be leaving uh, and handing over to Ralph Harmers on the 1st of November. During that interim six-month period as well, how do you formulate strategy when you're leaving and he's incoming as well to have a longer-term strategy that both of you are happy with? Well, look, uh, uh, we, we have a very clear strategy and uh, which has proved to be uh, very successful over the years. And actually, probably, uh, you know, this quarter, uh, you saw UBS performing at its best across any dimensions. So I think in times like this one, uh, uh, there is no real discussions about strategy changes. It's about uh, executing on our strategy, delivering to clients uh, uh, and delivering to our shareholders. Ralph uh, will join uh, in um, in September. Uh, we're gonna have a two months uh, end over, and uh, and then uh, uh, eventually uh, uh, any considerations will be taken there. But uh, as you can see, we have a pretty good uh, uh, strategy, and we are quite able to deliver even in challenging times. Absolutely. And you should be applauded for doing so. I'm not trying to uh, be petty on that. I'm just wondering about the profile of the business going forward, because it seems very clear, given the client activity in investment banking, that that has been uh, a very strong area for you as well. It's an area where you've had to cull over the years as well. Is it time to ramp up activity in that area now? No, I think, look, you know, we have an investment bank that is very complementary uh, to uh, all our uh, businesses in the, in the bank. And uh, it's very focused in, on to, in these areas where we excel and we are relevant to our clients. I, I think that this diversification of businesses and our geographic diversification, because we are a very important uh, uh, player in the US, uh, in Europe, in Switzerland and in Asia, uh, makes the real difference. So we will continue to uh, uh, make sure that the IB is there, is, is profitable, and is also competitive in, uh, in those areas where we choose to compete. Sergio, Karen jumping into the conversation. I want to get into the credit losses as you tally up some for the first quarter and look ahead. I know many of the banks have been looking at the type of clients they want to do business with, but it hasn't really mattered in this crisis given how the, the impact has been so wide across industries, particularly targeted in some from travel and hospitality to oil. What are you expecting in terms of the exposure given the types of clients you have on the portfolio? Well, look, uh, first of all, if you look at... Uh, our business model and our credit exposure. I mean, f we have been always very focused on risk-adjusted returns uh, uh, in some of the 
past years have been a little bit more painful uh, when uh, uh, lending growth went uh, uh, um, uh, very fast and, uh, and created uh, uh, a different momentum. But now in days like this one, you can see how credit exposure for us uh, is a uh, uh, something that we are, of course, uh, uh, very busy in managing, but not as uh, many other players in Europe. So second, uh, the vast majority of our exposure is in Switzerland. Uh, which is a country that has been and co- will continue to uh, outperform in terms of economic uh, 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 dy- dynamics. A lot of it is in uh, mortgages uh, with very low loan to value uh, and or uh, in Lombard lending uh, with also uh, a low loan to value. So uh, yes, credit will be an issue like for every banks, but at this stage is all relative. And we believe that our capital strengths uh, will allow us to master these challenges while delivering for shareholders. We've been living with ultra-low interest rates in Europe for some time, and there was an expectation that eventually maybe we could work our way out of that. But now we've seen other jurisdictions in the United States start to move south and other key countries as well. What does that mean in terms of interest, uh, net interest margin, and what you can expect because of the interest rate environment globally? Well, of course, uh, we have been uh, living with uh, negative rates for a while now in Switzerland and in the euro side, which is, uh, uh, you know, a a big part of our uh, balances. Of course, we are also exposed to the dollar side. Uh, You saw that despite all these dynamics, uh, uh, we have been able to protect NII and even this quarter to grow it a little bit. Uh, Well, you know, what you have to do is to really manage your liquidity and manage your uh, margins uh, proactively. and, uh, and, uh, And we will continue to do so. But it's quite clear that in this environment, NII... Uh, will be uh, under pressure, partially will be offset by the lending activity that, uh, of course, banks in general are asked to, you know, contribute and lend. And, uh, you know, when it's done at uh, sustainable and uh, uh, levels, uh, then will partially help uh, to offset uh, the headwinds on NII. Uh, Sergio, can I just wrap up with a a broader question about the wealth management opportunity in China going forward? We continue to see, and uh, President Trump again just upped the ante last night, continued issues and tension between Europe, the United States and China over the origin of COVID-19 here. Do you see that ultimately having any impact on your ability to expand and grow the wealth management business in mainland China? I don't see uh, uh, an immediate uh, threat uh, being a, a Swiss-based uh, bank uh, itself falls in those kind of environments. So uh, we are uh, 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 too small to matter in, in those kind of events, but big enough to make a difference uh, for clients and, uh, and, uh, and in general to, uh, um, uh, uh, to all those uh, regions and countries where we operate have you with us on the program. We'll catch up on another day. I know Sergio Amorti, the CEO of UBS. Uh, Santander has put in an 82% decline in attributable profit to 331 million euros after setting aside 1.6 billion euros in provisions. Executive Chairman Anna Botin said the Spanish lender is operating from a solid position with the CET1 ratio at just over 11.5%. She added targets would be reviewed once the extent of 
the virus crisis is clearer. The CFO, Jose Garcia Cantera, will join us at 8.30 CET. That is a first on CNBC. Uh, let's just take a look at where we are on this Brent story. If you want to know the, um, the story of the markets overnight, it was effectively the U.S. markets higher and the oil markets weaker. Uh, so that's the picture as far as Brent is concerned. We'll get into that in a bit more detail because there are some really interesting things going on around the products that uh, are being sold around this oil story. Uh, Shares of the USO, the ETF in the States, fell 16% yesterday. Uh, So um, even as we get uh, headline energy prices weakening and products like this uh, falling very sharply, I have to tell you, the uh, oil or energy subsector yesterday was up 2.1 percent go figure um asian markets let's just show you where we are as we uh, uh begin to see uh, corporate earnings i think have some impact on investor sentiment here uh, that's where we are on the uh, uh the story of the asian markets at this hour and the opening calls well the suggestion is that it's a, a mixed bag on the open but i think that just reflects uh, a little bit of um lack of visibility really on direction. The open on the US futures was negative, so mixed steer in terms of uh, that picture on the European open. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.